Amen. Thank you, Quint. Morning, church. Um, it's great uh, to be preaching today. I just want to welcome everyone online and everyone in the room this morning. And uh, if you've, if maybe you're new here, you haven't been paying attention. We've been going through the book of Mark, and uh, we're just systematically wait, working our way through it, taking a, a quick break for Easter next week. And we've just been learning some amazing things about the life and ministry of Jesus and who he is and how he's come to change just the way uh, the religious systems work and turn us from, from legalistic religion to the gospel. And that's actually what we're looking at today. So if you have a Bible, you can, uh, ahead of, uh, I'll, I'll read it together a bit later, but if you can turn to uh, Mark, the end of Mark chapter 2, we'll be looking there just now. But in reflection, uh, over the last year, one of the things that's really amused me at times is the kind of lockdown laws that we've had in place and how they've been quite inconsistent. Like, we can do that, but not this. Like, we're not allowed to do that, but if we uh, find a loophole, uh, we, we can do that. And we've been quite a creative bunch in the loopholes we found. Uh, I remember when uh, masks became uh, legalized. We had to wear masks in public. Unless you're at a restaurant, then it's chill. Then it's fair game, restaurant, you know, masks come off. And uh, when we were limited in, in gathering numbers, we weren't really allowed to have big weddings or, or uh, parties or anything like that. Again, unless you were at a restaurant, you could make a MacGyver and uh, bend the rules a little bit. Or if, uh, remember when we weren't allowed to cross provincial lines, unless you got some sort of hunting permit, from your local police station, then again, you could bend the rules. I think my favorite one was in the prohibition when alcohol wasn't allowed to be on sale and the grocery stores somewhere just put pineapples and yeast next to each other uh, for us to buy. I just love the sort of loopholes we find. But um, in all seriousness, I think um, for good reason, we've been restricted in this last year, obviously for protection and health purposes, but if you're anything like me at times, the restrictions have just felt a bit frustrating and uh, burdensome at times. I remember when we were uh, not allowed, when we were in hard lockdown, we weren't allowed to leave our homes and just the toll it took over time on our mental health. Uh, we just felt like trapped and, and, and burdened and restricted. And um, today we're looking at something similar at the end of Mark chapter 2 when Jesus is interacting with the Pharisees around a particular law. And uh, what he's really calling them out on is that these Pharisees have had made a system of uh, legalistic re religious laws that had actually become a burden on people's lives. And Jesus is challenging that and calling us to a different way of life, of resting in him. So um, if you can turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 2 from verse 23, and we'll be reading until the end of 3, verse 6. I've tentatively called this sermon, The Rules of Rest, somewhat ironically, as we look at how Jesus challenges the legalistic rules of the Pharisees. So picking up Mark 2, 23. On the Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to make their way, picking some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? That is the central issue for us today. Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? He said to them, 
Have you never read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests, and also gave some to his companions? Then he told them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So then, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus entered the synagogue again, and a man who was there who had a shriveled hand uh, in order to accuse him, they were watching him closely to see whether he, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. He told the man with the shriveled hand, stand before us. Then he said to them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And after looking around at them with anger, he was grieved at the hardness of their hearts and told the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Immediately the Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians against Jesus, how they might kill him. Let's just pray together again. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you, Jesus, how you're showing us again this morning, how you're inviting us into a different way of life with you, the rest that comes with the gospel. I pray that this morning we would be challenged to recognize the legalism in our own hearts uh, and that you would call us once again to rest in you and the finished work of Christ. Amen. As I said, we're talking about resting in the gospel. And of course, we're looking in this text, Jesus is dealing with the topic of the Sabbath. And we're going to look at that a bit later. But there's something, as I said, even deeper happening here. And it's what the Pharisees are doing with uh, the law, that Jesus is calling us to rest from the religious burden of the Pharisees. So if you're writing notes, the first thing that Jesus is calling us to is, is resting from legalism. And in this text, there's two groups of people, as we've read. There's the Pharisees, and there's Jesus and his disciples. And the central issue they're dealing with here, actually underpinning this whole uh, account, is that the, the question of what does it mean to live a godly life? What does it mean to live a God-honoring life? They, they both agree with that premise, that we should do that. What they're disagreeing with is what that means. The, sub, um, the, the Pharisees are saying, it means obeying these rules. Jesus is saying, no, it, it means following God's heart. Uh, and we'll look at how those things are not opposed. But the central issue Jesus is getting to is that these uh, Pharisees had created a man-made religion and made it a burden on people's uh, hearts and lives. And maybe you've asked that question. What does it mean to live a godly life? I think some of the assumptions in our heart is that it means keeping all the rules. And um, just to take this a step further, if we look at the Jews and the Jewish culture at the time, they had two things that made them distinct from every other people group. Uh, one was circumcision. The other was the Sabbath. So this is a big deal for them. This is like one of the two pillars of, of what made them distinct from every other person. And it's a very good thing that they were serious about the Sabbath because it is a gift uh, to us. But what they did is they turned it into a religious burden. What God gave to them as a gift of rest became a religious burden because uh, the Sabbath, on the Sabbath, you're not allowed to work. 
And so what they did is that they took that and made it even, um, even more religious, and they codified it into 39 different kinds of work that you were not allowed to do on the day. And that's what they're accusing Jesus of, because uh, healing was considered work. You're not allowed to heal on the Sabbath, and you weren't allowed to reap grain on the Sabbath. I mean, if you see even there their legalism, plucking a few heads of grain is not considered reaping. Like, how ridiculous. So that's their accusation. They come to Jesus and say, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus is saying, look, this isn't an issue of me disobeying God's law. I, I might be disobeying your uh, legalistic pharisaical law that you've added on top of God's law, but those things are man-made. This is not God's intention for the Sabbath. This day is meant to be about rest. And so Jesus is calling them out on it, and it makes them hate Jesus, so much so that they actually start to plot how they might kill him. But if you look throughout Scripture, Jesus saves his harshest words for the Pharisees. And if you read in the text, it says, Jesus was angry and grieved at their hard hearts, that they, that they had no compassion for this man who needed healing, that they, that they would judge uh, Jesus' disciples for being hungry and in need because they made it about rules. But what Jesus is helping us see that it's, it's, the Sabbath is about uh, rest. And I think one of the reasons Jesus take such issue here with legalism is that it is actually counter to uh, the gospel. It's counter to the gospel. The Pharisees had made it these 39 laws on the Sabbath day. If you did these things, you were a true uh, child of God. If you did these things, God would accept you and you would be acceptable. But only if you did these things, you had to obey the rules. And so any kind of relationship with God became about obeying the rules, ticking the boxes, and Jesus says, no, that's, that's legalism. I'm calling you to a different kind of life. And we're going to unpack a bit what that looks like. But I want to just take a moment to look at the problem of legalism. Because if we're honest, we're all legalists in some way. And it is counter to the gospel in every way. One of the ways uh, legalism devastates us is that it distorts our view of salvation. It distorts how God saves us. And that there's two ways to live. The one way to live is, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. The other way to live is, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. That's gospel. I'm accepted, therefore I obey. But legalism, religion works on that other first premise. I obey, therefore I'm accepted. First, be acceptable to God, then maybe he'll accept you. That's what the Pharisees preach. Get your life together. Clean your act up. Pull up your socks. Get it together, man. Conform to the rules. Maybe then you can deal with your guilt and shame. Conform to the rules. Be good enough. Jesus takes issue with this. Another problem with why that actually is anti the gospel is that it makes the rules the basis for our relationship with God. And that if we do that, and that, and that. Then God owes me salvation. I've earned it. I've earned salvation. God can't say no to me. I've kept the rules. I've done it right. I've done everything required of me. I obey. Therefore, I'm accepted. 
Of course, that's not the gospel. It makes obedience transactional. If I do this, then Jesus owes me that. When obedience is actually relational. And so Jesus is helping us see by challenging this that it's not I obey, therefore I'm accepted. It's actually I'm accepted, therefore I obey. I'm accepted on the basis of Jesus' obedience for me, not my obedience. Of course, I obey, but that's a different thing. I'm not, I'm not saved by my obedience. That's what legalism gets wrong. It assumes that if I follow the rules well enough, if that's what I make my relationship with God based on, if I, if I perform, then I can secure my salvation. It distorts our view of how we get into relationship with God. That's not how it works. It also distorts our view of other people. Because whatever we've made the standard that God requires of us to be saved will be the standard we judge other people against. And often we set the standard so high that we don't even reach it. But in our minds, we, we don't worry about ourselves. We just make it the basis through which we judge other people. And so we become unloving. You can't love people and look down on them at the same time. It also distorts our view of God and ourselves. This whole thing of legalism and, and earning grace, it, it misses the mark because it says that I can lower God that's how it has to work. I have to lower God to a certain standard so that I might be able to reach it. So we're lowering the standard of God's holiness and inflating our, the view of our own holiness that we might actually be able to be good enough to make it in. I think if we're honest, every one of us knows we're not perfect. Every one of us knows we could never reach that mark. We'd never be good enough. Our, our life, and, and just to put this in there. Christianity isn't based on the scales. If, if the good works of our life just outweigh the bad works, that's, that's not the gospel. The gospel is perfection or nothing. We all know, Romans 3.23 says, everyone has fallen short. We need something else. Our good works are not going to cut it. Legalism forgets that. It says that, no, I can achieve God. To do that logically means we have to just keep lowering the holiness of God until we're good enough to make it through. And that's not the gospel. The gospel says that without, uh, without, the, without Jesus being uh, our righteousness, we actually have no hope because we'll never be good enough in our own strength. But when we trust in him, he takes our sin from us and gives us his gift of righteousness. We call it imputed righteousness. That's the great exchange. He takes our sin, gives us his righteousness, and makes us good enough for God. That's how salvation works. It's not by works. It's not by effort. Legalism just uh, completely distorts our view of God's holiness and our own ability. That we become very prideful and, and actually uh, see ourselves as so much better than we really are. And we forget our need. It distorts our view of grace, thinking that we can get in with good behavior. I think so many people, and in the text, the Pharisees actually believe that legalism plus hard work and effort equals salvation. Not at all. Grace is the free gift of God apart from works. And we'll get there. 
Uh, yesterday we had the church, we had a church hike, and it was a great time of just, I mean, look, I think hike is um, optimistic. It was a, a nice walk, leisurely walk. And uh, I, my daughter, Hannah, was with uh, me, walking with me. She's two and a half at the moment, um, or a little older. And uh, I was so proud of her and how far she actually walked. She did so well. But as you can imagine, her little legs get tired. And she's struggling and straining up the hill. Uh, and eventually she says, Daddy, I want uppy. And of course, what do I do? I pick her up. That's sort of the picture here. It's like you can struggle and strain with all your might to try to achieve God, but we'll never do it. We need external help. We need someone to pick us up and carry us. We need someone to pick us up and carry us. That is the good news of Jesus. See, legalism is a crushing fraud. Is that it offers us some sort of a thing we have to do to be good enough, and it offers us some hope that, oh, maybe I can actually achieve that. But when it comes down to it, it will do nothing but crush us because we can't. We cannot be good enough. And it's one thing for us to look down on the Pharisees and, and judge them, but before we get there, let's own this. We're just like the Pharisees, aren't we? We all have things. Here's a question for us today. What are the things in your life that you secretly believe make you someone God prefers over others? What are the things in your heart that you secretly believe make you someone God prefers over someone else? We wouldn't say it aloud. We wouldn't admit it. But we all have these things in our heart. It could be anything. It could be work ethic. Work ethic. It could be how, how we raise our kids it could be how well we cared for the oppressed. It could be how much we give. It could be uh, just how kind we are. It could be uh, how much we're there for people. It could be how much, even religious things, how much we read our Bible more than everyone else. Like all of these things are functional uh, saviors. We, we talk about functional righteousness. It's like we, we look to it to be our righteousness, our reason for being acceptable to God. But of course, Nothing but Jesus is our true righteousness. We're just like the Pharisees. We rely on legalism to secure the love of God. And it will never deliver. And so Jesus in his kindness challenges the Pharisees and actually again and again and again confronts their legalism in the scriptures because it's counter the gospel. And it is it is crushing on people. And he, he takes issue with that. He will not have legalism compete with the gospel. He's come to give us rest in him, not to burden us with another uh, way of life or laws. So Jesus is calling us to rest, in, rest from legalism. If you're writing notes again, second point is, as we rest from legalism, he's calling us to rest in him, resting in Jesus. <clears throat> Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 puts this so beautifully for us. <clears throat> it says this, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You read that passage, Matthew 11, 28 to 30, you'll see that the context is 
It's again, it's the legalistic burden of the Pharisees. And it's exactly what Jesus is speaking out against. He says, no, that burden is not what I want for you. Come to me. My burden is light. I want to give you rest from the oppressive and weary burden of legalism. That idea of a yoke uh, came from the olden times where uh, they would train uh, cattle how to tread grain. And there would be a sort of post in the middle and a big sort of bar that would go on top of uh, the cattle's back. And they'd just walk in circles, training them how to tread grain. And how it would work is that you'd have an old, experienced, trained uh, cattle bearing the, the weight of the pole on their back. And the young um, guy getting trained up, just likely the yoke would be on him. Um, just, just as the older guy bared the weight of that bar, this would just train him. It would be light. So he'd walk around and learn, how, how the, learn the ropes, you know, learn how it goes. And that is the picture Jesus is giving us. He bears the weight. He bears the weight for us. Our burden is light. Our yoke is easy as we follow him, as we walk with him. He's the one bearing the weight. What he wants for us is rest for our souls. <clears throat> Again, church hike. I've got Hannah on my shoulders. I'm walking for a K or two, and ew, I could feel the weight. I take her off, and of course, all of a sudden, I, I feel like a new man. I can go for another 20 Ks or whatever. No, that's a lie. I couldn't do that. But anyway... <laughs> You know, the, the burden, of course, carrying her is a joy, but there's nothing joyful about legalism. The burden is crashing, and Jesus come to take that off our shoulders by giving us something else. We don't have to live in the spiritual anxiety of, are we in or out, or just, if I just have to do these five things today, maybe I can get there. We, we don't have to feel the spiritual anxiety. We don't have to feel the fear of, of God's wrath in the gospel. We don't have to worry about performance and appearances. We don't have to die under the weight of our guilt and shame. There is hope for us. And it's in this, the gift of the grace in Jesus. We are able to rest in the acceptance of Jesus. The gift of grace is that he's done it for us. We don't have to live with the spiritual anxiety that weighs on our hearts of, of where we stand eternally. We can rest in the gospel that he has been for us what we needed and he has done for us what we needed more than anything else. He has obeyed perfectly on our behalf and died to forgive us for our sin. And that we really are in him. We have that assurance of salvation. And one of our problems is that we put too much emphasis on performing and what we need to do to perform and be good enough and that we need to spend our lives really working hard and when we get to heaven, we're going to stand before God and find out where we stand. Are we in or out? But our lives are about this performance. That's absolutely not the gospel. Take us back to Mark chapter 1, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is before he's done any preaching, any healing, uh, before he's obviously died and rose again, before he started his ministry. What happens? He gets baptized. And what happens when he gets baptized? He says, the Spirit descends like a dove, and you hear a voice, the Father from heaven, saying, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Right? Jesus gets the pronouncement 
of sonship before the performance. If we had to write the script, we'd probably say, we talk about the life of Jesus and say, yeah, you know, he did amazing miracles, he preached a great message, he died and he rose again, and then he ascended to heaven. And when he got to heaven, hey, Jesus, God gave him a high five, well done, my boy, I'm so proud of you. Oh, man, I'm so glad you did it. I was stressing for a while there, but you did it. I'm so proud of you, man. You, you're my boy. Of course, there was a celebration in heaven, but you see, Jesus didn't get uh, the pronouncement of sonship and acceptability and well done after his performance. He didn't earn that, of course not. He, he got it before he lived uh, his life and, and did anything. And so often we live our lives on the wrong scale there. We think that we need to perform in order to get the pronouncement. Baptism of Jesus, he tells us something completely different in the gospel. We get the pronouncement of oneness with God and salvation before we even perform. So one of the wonders of the cross. That's what Jesus said when he died, it is finished. He didn't say it's 80% done, 20% is your effort, go for it. There's nothing we can contribute. There is nothing we can contribute except the sin that makes a salvation necessary. He has done it all. So we don't have to live in the spiritual anxiety of legalism. He's inviting us into the rest of the gospel. That's why if you look at the text today, Jesus, one of the reasons Jesus calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath is exactly that, that he is Sabbath rest. That we can know for sure where we stand eternally on the basis of what Jesus has done for us, not our performance. We look at Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. It says this, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. God's gift, not works. This is God's gift. The achiever mindset when it comes to salvation must die. Salvation is not something to achieve. It is a gift to receive. When we place our faith in Jesus to forgive us for our sin, when we place our faith in Jesus to be for us who we can't be for God, when we place our faith and hope in Jesus to truly forgive us and make us one with, him, one with himself and put his grace into our lives. That's when things begin to change. Jesus is inviting us in to resting from spiritual performance anxiety. We don't have to stress about where we stand. We don't have to live under the crushing weight of legalism. He's inviting us to rest in the finished work of the gospel. And so how do we do this practically? I don't think, this is my third point, is resting in Jesus on the Sabbath. I don't think it's a mistake that the topic being discussed here in this passage is the Sabbath. Because one of the main ways that we actually practically express our rest in the finished work of Jesus and take a break from spiritual performance and rest from our anxiety is Sabbath. It's a day for us, as we just put that rhythm in our lives, to, to take a break and stop and say, okay, Lord, my life isn't in my performance, spiritually or at work or at, 
eternal things have decided what my life today needs to look like. My life isn't about performance. It's about what you've done. And I'm taking a break for today to recalibrate my heart to the pace and rhythm of Jesus. Jesus actually shows us this, as I said, uh, by the two examples he gives here. The Pharisees are angry at Jesus for breaking the law. uh, And he redefines the Sabbath in what he says. First, he... he, um, He tells the story of King David. It's in 1 Samuel about how King David and his men went to the temple and actually broke one of the laws in eating the bread of the presence. And Jesus actually says, you know what? If you understand God's heart and his heart to provide for your need, you'd actually reinterpret that that verse and that passage a bit differently, Pharisees. Because his heart to provide for your need trumps the rules uh, and regulations that they had put in place. And then he says, When he healed the man, he's telling them again, restoration is my heart for you. And so what Jesus is actually telling us is the Sabbath above everything else is about restoration. It's about rest. About restoration. Not just about rules. It's about aligning with God's heart to restore us, to heal us from spiritual anxiety. Now, I know just as a sidebar, there's a whole discussion on, is the Sabbath actually for us anymore? If Jesus is our Sabbath rest, is the Sabbath for us? I would say, look, we're not going to make a hard and fast rule about it and make it a burden for you. It's meant to be life-giving, but I would argue pretty strongly I think it is. I think how it looks is something we have to figure out, but I think it is. I mean, you know, which one of the other Ten Commandments are we going to cancel? You know, is murder now okay? Like, no, of course not. Like, there's things God have put in place for us to protect us and actually to keep us healthy in Him. Like, don't covet. Don't have any other gods before me. Sabbath, like, these are important blocks that He's put in place for our flourishing. Now, even if you don't think it's a binding command, it's a good practice to do. Because our hearts will default towards anxiety. Our hearts will default towards performance. The good news of Jesus is that he's changing the game here in finishing and doing it all for us. He's saying, no, you can take a step back. You can rest in the gospel. It's in the busyness and brokenness of life. We need God to minister to us in his presence. One of the ways we do that is just by keeping to the rhythm of the Sabbath. As we lean into him on that day, as we stop working, as we rest, as we worship, as we do things that increase our joy in God. Just one of those things there. Sabbath literally means to cease, to stop. Uh, It is about stopping uh, working. And I think someone said uh, if you, if you can't take a break from work, if you can't take a nap, heaven's going to really irritate you. And I love that. I love that because, you know, we pray, God, your kingdom come. What we're saying is like how life is in heaven, Lord, because that's, that's the way it should be. That's the best thing for us. That's how you design life. That's how we're going to flourish. Like heaven's going to be amazing. It's going to be perfect. We're going to be living our best lives then. How it is there, God, help us live more like that today. And I think the Sabbath is a day. I know we have stresses and pressures in life. And of course, work is a gift. 
Work is a gift. We're going to be working in heaven. But here's the thing. We're not going to be working in heaven like we work here. We're not going to be working anxiously. We're not going to be working frantically. We're not going to be working in fear. Work's not going to be a burden. It's going to be a gift. One of the ways we uh, flip that around, one of the ways we enter into the rest of Jesus in this new life he's given us is just this rhythm of Sabbath. It's so helpful to recalibrate our lives to the pace and heart of Jesus in the gospel. The Sabbath is a gift to us to recalibrate our lives to the pace and heart of Jesus in the gospel. In a world that lives in restlessness, Jesus is inviting us into restfulness. I actually find that we'd be more fruitful in our work when we're working as he intended. So stopping and resting and worshiping, just that we put this rhythm in our life. Jesus is inviting us into this gospel Sabbath rest, resting from the burden of legalism, resting in the grace of Jesus, resting in the rhythm of the Sabbath. These are things we get wrong when we ignore the gospel and we live anxious lives. And this happened to even the disciples. And I want to just end with this. Mark chapter 6, Jesus' ministry is going crazy. They will get there in a couple of months' time. And things are happening and the disciples are busy and attending to everyone's needs. And Jesus, the good, kind Lord that he is, notices this. And it says, Mark 6, 31, he, and he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. And then it comments, for many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. No leisure even to eat. They were so busy, they couldn't even stop to eat. There was no leisure. It was just work, work, work. They were busy. They were fruitful, but they were exhausted. Does that describe your life? Busy and fruitful, but exhausted. I think so often that's what we run towards. That's not the heart of Jesus for us, and it's not the gospel. Uh, and I think that today, I just want to, by way of application as we land this plane, like for those of you who maybe have realized and, and your heart has Jesus just helped you see legalism in your own life as I have as I've been prepping this, it's actually an unbelief in the gospel. And that he would help us once again rest in the finished work of Jesus and trust in him with all our hearts. Maybe if you're becoming Christian, even in this moment, that again, God would flip a switch in your heart and he'd help you just take that step of faith to rest. Yes, he's called us to obedience and that's a joyful thing. But you'll never achieve his salvation through obedience. It's not obey to be accepted. It's you are accepted in the gospel by placing faith in Jesus. Therefore, he gives us the power of his spirit to obey. It's a completely different life. I think just as we pray together now, those of us who are exhausted uh, and maybe disillusioned, maybe heading towards burnout, there is a gift of rest in Jesus unlike anything else. And his call and invitation, come to me and receive my rest for my burden is light. Maybe we just have a time to receive that now as we respond. We're going to respond. Quinn's going to lead us in communion and we respond by singing. I just want to spend some time in prayer and reflection. And just as we pray, I want to invite you just to, just to reflect a bit on your life and where you're at. Legalism, anxiousness, spiritual performance, anxiety, where are you at? And how might we trust more in the gospel and finished work of Jesus? So let's pray together. Father, thank you for 
the gospel. Thank you, Jesus, that um, you are such a fierce uh, God and lion in confronting legalism. You hate how it destroys us. You hate how it turns us in on um, obedience as a mechanism to achieve you. You hate how it puts burden on us. Uh, You're not a God of burden. You're a God of delight. You're a God of joy. You're a God of true freedom. We know that freedom isn't having absolutely no restrictions. It's, it's putting your burden on ourselves because it's light and it's joy-giving. It's life-giving. Your yoke is easy, Jesus. And we pray that even in this moment, you would take the weight of legalism off our shoulders again, thinking we can earn you and help us rest in Jesus. I just pray, Lord, that those of us in this room heading towards the tiredness, Uh, even though it's early in the year and we we might feel this in increasing measure later on, that you would help us again put the rhythm of Sabbath in place to ensure our rest in you. We pray, Jesus, also for just a supernatural presence of rest in our lives uh, in this moment and when we come to you for that rest that you love to give us. Thank you for the words of Matthew eleven twenty eight and Isaiah 55 that just give us your invitation. You say, come, come to me, come and eat, come and drink, have your full, come and rest. I pray, Lord, that just as we respond to you now that you'd help us do that. I pray for those of us crossing the line of faith or, or re-putting our faith and trust in Jesus, that you would just help us um, trust in you more fully that the finished work of the gospel is what we need. We need you to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Your death, your resurrection is all our hope. We know that we'll never be good enough. And thank you, Jesus, that you came to save us, that you came to seek and save the lost. And we put ourselves in your hands and in your care and in your rest again this morning.